Good evening. If you have your Bibles, please open with me to Matthew. Matthew chapter 7, please. Let's open in prayer. Father, again, we need anointing tonight to anoint our minds, our ears, our hearts to hear you, to understand the intent of your word. Lord, as we come here to the, the sermon about your words, a message to us is, is pertinent today as it was then. A message that cares about people. A message that reminds us that we need to trust and rest in you and not strive on our own. So, Lord, we ask that you would teach us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Tonight I've titled the message of Wisdom's Counsel. See, the, the Word of God is wisdom. In fact, uh, wisdom, Jesus Christ, is the, the wisdom of God. The gospel is the, the wisdom of God, that good news. We're going to deal with a, a few topics, and the first one that we're going to deal with is really that golden rule. We'll deal with that and then we'll talk about it in the very end because it's the last thing, but I wanted to, to start with that. And then we're going to look at judging others, a common problem within the church. Matthew 7, look with me in verse 12. It says, in everything, therefore, treat people in the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and this is the prophet's. It's here in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus not restates the law, but reminds them the real intent of the law. When Jesus walked the earth, he, he took all the commandments and summarized them in two commandments. Love God with all of your heart and all of your mind and all of your soul. And the second one is love your neighbor. And then in Philippians, we saw that we're taught to esteem others higher than ourselves, and we certainly saw that with Jesus' life. It's so important. So when we come here and we see this verse, it's not surprising, and we look at it, and it's called the, the golden rule. And the focus here is, is in treating people the same way that you want to be treated. So you're not going to be mean, you're not going to be nasty. Now, it's interesting when you look at this golden rule, it, it's to govern it govern that believer's, again, relationship, relationship with other people. Oftentimes, people just think about, you know, it's just between me and God. No, it's between everyone, every circumstance, whether it's work or home or family. Relationships are important. And if we have a problem with a relationship with someone... It also speaks of that relationship, the problem we have with our own family. If it's not right with our family, it's not right with the Lord. Husbands are to be understanding of their wives. If they're not understanding, then that's going to hinder their prayers. It, it hinders that relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, why other religions have, have sayings very similar to this golden rule? This one is strictly Christian. And the Christian one is, it's all positive. It's not negative. It doesn't say, don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. But it says, do to others what you 
want them to do to you. And see, that's what's important. It lays the responsibility really upon each believer. So we're kind of mean to one another, and we're kind of selfish. And sometimes people say, well, kind of is not really the word. We are selfish people. And why that's true, the scripture makes it very clear. He puts a responsibility on us to act right. He gives us that free will. Will we act in love? Will we go out in love? I love the message by the, the apostle John. Late in years, they brought him in and to speak before a congregation, and they kind of helped him stand up there, and he leaned against the wall, and he simply says, little children, love one another. That was the message. And if you ponder that, that is really deep. What does it mean to love others? Loving others means we esteem others higher than ourselves, that we, we care about people. The, the mark of, of, of a Christian is, is love for one another. Every one of us should have that desire when we pass away and they're doing a celebration or a graduation party because we've gone to be with the Lord, that, that the words would be said that they loved God and they loved others. That will again speak of the fact that we have fulfilled the purpose we're called. We're called to love God. And we're called to love others. And by doing that, we fulfill the law. But life is hard. And as we grow older, as a general rule, people tend to either get bitter or sweeter. But for the most part, they become more cynical. At some point, we've seen the stuff that goes on in this world. We've looked at the news. We've seen war after war, the violence. We lose hope in humanity. And certainly, when we look at that, it reminds us how much we need Jesus Christ because only Jesus Christ can change our lives. Whether it be your boss or you, your family members, the people in the community. This lost world needs Jesus. And it's the cynical attitude that pushes people often away. We rarely run into a person that's old that really has this attitude that, well, people are really good. Humanity is really good. Because the truth is, it's getting darker and darker, but our attitude should never change. Just as Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, because we're in Christ, we should have that same attitude, that same hopeful thought, wanting the best for each and every person. But when we become cynical, sadly, we, we become very judgmental. We expect the worst out of people. We don't expect people to do the right thing. We don't assume there's anything good going to happen. And, and we begin, again, to push people away from us in another way. And so there's this, this danger of becoming very judgmental. Because mankind tends to be quick to judge others. It's really because of our pride we begin to look down at others. 
And we begin going through this life judging people. Maybe we don't say it out of our mouth, but we think it in our hearts. I share a, a young lady, I was just always encouraged by her. She, I never heard her say anything negative at all. And I told her, I'm so encouraged. I, I want to be like you in Christ. And that, that's a wonderful trait. It's a wonderful thing God's doing. She says, outwardly, I understand what you're saying, but you don't know my heart. You don't know what I'm thinking. And so some keep it away and they harbor it inside. Sometimes they get this bitter root in them and some just kind of dump all the time. They're dumping wherever they go. Well, I've titled this next section really the the alarming accusations. Because if we're honest with ourselves, it is alarming the way we act. It's shocking and grieving to the Lord when we're judging people and condemning people, whether they be believers or not believers. It's a serious subject when you begin to think about this this idea of judging. That's why in verse 1 of chapter 7 of Matthew, it says, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. Again, we're not to judge. And it's important to understand what that word really means. Because when you read the scripture, there are times that we are to judge. And we'll look at some of those. In fact, this verse is probably one of the most misunderstood verses, misquoted verses in the Bible for that very reason, because the people really don't know and don't want to know really what it means because they like what it says, and they'll use it to accomplish, to make accusations about people. Don't judge me. People that have gone through difficult times, they they know certain verses, and they'll lash out when no one's even judging them, and someone's trying to help them. Now, that do not judge in the Greek is krino, It has a wide somatic range of meanings. It means to judge judicially, to condemn, and to discern. The fact is, it denotes the idea of expressing a, a negative opinion of someone, looking down upon someone. You know, when someone gives you a stink eye, they're looking down upon you unless they got indigestion. But the truth is, we do look down upon people. They ruffle our feathers. If they only knew what we knew, they only thought like we thought, we're the only normal ones we say, it's everybody else's the problem. But that's not reality. All have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. And it doesn't matter who you are, whether you're a pastor, a layperson, simply doesn't matter. We all struggle with this problem. It's a problem that we know better for people. I think the story of D.L. Moody really tells it very well. D.L. Moody was criticized or criticized one of the church members one time. The man always came in on a Sunday morning service and entered the back into the back and he sat and promptly went to sleep. Moody became very 
irritated with this behavior and finally expressed his disappointment and anger at an offending brother. The man was crestfallen and apologized profusely. But Moody became ashamed when the man said, Pastor, I'm an engineer and I, I drive the train all night, all night long Saturday. I should have been in bed, but I hate the thought of my pastor having to preach to empty seats on a Sunday morning. Everybody tells me that I, I should come to church, but I, I can't stay awake. And I'm sorry. But when I get into the, the warm building, my eyes get heavy and I, I fall asleep. Moody placed his hand upon the man's shoulder and said, My brother, it is I who are sorry. You come to church, you sleep all you want. It's fine with me. Perhaps you remember the story of Eutychus and Paul was teaching along. The lamps were on, it was warm, and Eutychus fell asleep and fell down. Paul goes out and throws himself upon him. I think it's a wonderful illustration. He, he, he's concerned when he wants to bring him back to life. And really, that's how we are to minister to people. We're to minister to them. We don't know what they're going through, especially if they don't tell us. We need to esteem them higher. We need to pray for them. We need to encourage them. We need not to judge them in condemnation, but really discern what, what's going on. What's wrong with this picture? How can I encourage this person? This verse never prohibits judging, as I mentioned earlier, but it's that censorious, the hypocritical, self-righteous kind of unfair judgment upon people. And as I mentioned earlier, people tend to look at the worst of people instead of looking at what God's doing. I love it as a, as a pastor when I see people come in and, and, and they come in and you know, they got struggles and I watch God change them as they stay in the word and they stay under the word. Others may focus upon really what they haven't changed yet. But if a person stays in the fellowship, stays in the word, stays under the word and wants to change, God will change his life. And the joy is to see their, their lives that are upside down turned right side up. I've seen homeless come in, be saved, grow, mature, get a job and turn around and marry someone in the congregation and then adopt their kids. There's a reason why someone's going through something. Truly, there are some that just say, I, I won't, I can't. They've fallen so much into this rut that they just give up. And that's even more common as we get older, when you stop and think about it. But again, this type of undue harshness, judgmental attitude should never be of a Christian about anyone that we see. So Jesus condemns this habit of criticizing, which is so natural to our flesh when people are condemning. Now I'm using that word condemn or condemnation. That is acting harsh, judging them. 
not discerning that situation. Tempting to evaluate them and set them apart from everyone. But discernment is okay. I'll give you an illustration in my own life. If my daughter was still at home and she was 16 and she came home with a, a guy and, and he had this truck and beer cans are rolling around in the back and he had Playboy stickers all over it, I judged very quickly or discerned he's not going to take my daughter out. But he's welcome in my house. We'll love him. We'll encourage him. But he's not going to go out with her until I see a change in his life. We don't condemn them. No, we encourage them. We reach out to them. We make them a part of our lives. I think of Pastor Chuck Smith years ago in the, during that hippie movement. Couldn't understand what was going on with the hippies. And his daughter enjoyed the, the hippies. And he asked, bring, bring a friend over. We fell in love with this one and that one. And before you knew it, he had a church of 2,000 hippies. At first, he was judging. But as he come close, he would come to know them. They're people just like you and me. Different reasons they're in that different place. Many of those hippies grew up and became pastors. Some working in prison ministries. Some worship leaders and writing songs. I remember in the early Calvary Chapel movement, there was a, a guy, he says, I wrote a song so excited for the Lord. He says, okay, play it to me. And he could hear the, the love of God and the words. And he says, go ahead and come play it Sunday morning. Well, I think we can. Well, what do you mean you think you can? Well, uh, the other guy, the part of the band, he's, he's getting out of jail on Friday, supposed to. And that Sunday morning he played before the congregation. There's discerning and there's judging critical. God wants to reach out and touch people, fan the flame in their lives. And that's our part, to fan that flame. Do everything we can to help them, not isolate them. I love 1 Samuel 16, 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance at the height of his statue because I've rejected him. For God does not see as man sees since man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. I love that because God looks at our heart. You ever just blowing it? Maybe crush someone, hurt something, your motive was pure. I pray you had that broken and contrite heart because that's what's pleasing to God. But God sees your heart. Every one of us will blow it from time to time, hopefully less and less. God looks at the motive. Sometimes we have a problem with the tongue. My prayer is, Lord, help me. Put a watchman at my lips. It's so easy to say something and you can never take it back. John 7, 24 says, Do not judge by the outward appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. I've heard many people say, Oh, I can judge righteously. And I don't know how I can judge righteously when I don't know a heart. 
I don't know why, but yet there's some that judge the heart, judge the motive. This is what he's talking about. Don't judge like this. Don't be critical. It's in source. And this is what he's speaking against. See, what's important is that, that there's an attitude how we approach people when that time comes. Now, certainly we are to judge. We are to warn. Let me read from Matthew 7, 15 and 16. Beware false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravishes wolves. And you will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? See, we're to discern those false prophets, those false teachers. And we are to warn others. And that's important, we warn them. But with the right attitude. The sad thing about some of these, there are people out there that think they're headhunters. They're always looking for somebody to find fault. Continually. Sin, sniffing, fault, finding, looking for things. I heard of a brother recently. He had a title, the message, and the title was on there. And maybe it wasn't the best title. A guy wrote up a whole blog on him, how wrong he was, and yet he never listened to the message. Never heard the heart of God, what God was doing in him. Doing everything he could to destroy the reputation. Well, Matthew 18, verse 15 through 18, it goes like this. Now, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one, two, or more with you, so that on the testimony of two or three witnesses, every matter must be confirmed. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, he is to be as a Gentile or a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Difficult verse for many. But it's interesting that we are responsible and accountable for our, our brothers if they sin against us where to go to them if they said something wrong that's offended us well you know when you said this i don't think you meant it this way but it hurt and and, and get open dialogue but if there's some blatant sin you go to them privately you don't tell a congregation you don't tell the community it, it stays right with you if you do go tell everyone you're in sin this is the critical, cynical attitude. This is what he's speaking about. And he gives away when those times come. How are we to deal with them? There needs to be witnesses. We need to know this is true. Well, again, look with me in verse 2 as we continue the text. For in the way that you judge, you will be judged. By the standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Now, the judgment that Jesus prohibits is that involved in this rigorous standard and measure, this just condemning, scrutinize over things that are petty or trivial. And again, as I mentioned, the cynical person, he's always looking for the worst in someone. 
Maybe you know someone like that. And it's so discouraging. It's, it's so sad. It grieves my heart. And even when you try to encourage them, they're just, there's something about you. What is it that you're trying to get out of me? And you're just trying to encourage them. See, they've fallen into this rut, and it's a hard time to get out of that rut because they don't really see their situation. The cynical person is often um, unforgiving. They've been hurt a long time ago, therefore they're going to judge everyone. It empowers them, and when they think less of others and higher themselves, it's driven by a selfish pride. Now look with me at Matthew 23, verse 23 through 24. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you, you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But, but these are things that you should have done without neglecting the others. In verse 24, he says, you blind guides, you strain the gnat and swallow the camel. The Pharisees were known as being hypocritical always calling attention to themselves. So again, there's, there's the discerning and there's the judging, but again, our, our part is not to judge someone in condemnation because ultimately God is the judge. God's going to deal with them. We may discern, we need to step back, but Jesus, the judge, can deal with these things. But you and I, we don't have a right just to get up in people's faces. And there's some people, they thrive on getting in people's faces. See, God alone has that right to judge in condemnation because his judgment is always righteous. He knows the heart. He knows the mind. He knows what you and I do not know. The bottom line here is that we, if we judge harshly, the, the same standard that we judge others, we will be judged. Now, often it's taught that God will judge you in that same method, which is true. But I've often found those, those that are judging people going through, others are looking at them, they're judging them. Oh, look at that man, how unloving he is. And people begin to talk what he's sowing. He's reaped. And it's not a place that you or I want to be. Look at verse 3. Why do you look at the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Really, it's a startling shame if you think about it. Here's a man wanting to take the speck out of someone else's eye, but he's got this log, this beam. It's like a telephone pole as he sweeps, and he would knock down all these little pillars here, knock down everyone. And we know that this is, you know, a, a hyperbolic imagery. Sometimes those that are complaining the most really have this log in their eye and they're not wanting to deal with their own problems. See, he uses the word speck describing something that's really almost irrelevant, insignificant. And they got this huge beam in their eye. The speck represents really something that a small fault is. All of us have a fault. The log represents really something that is a major moral fault, especially when you're judging others. And this is the person that wants to correct the minor thing in someone else's life, and he doesn't even recognize it. He doesn't even realize that he's a hypocrite. 
We'll look with me in Matthew 5, verse 29 and 30. Now, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away from you. For it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than the whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away from you, for it's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to go to hell. And God doesn't want us to tear our eye out or cut our hand off. He's telling us the seriousness of this kind of sin, the seriousness of, of judging and condemning people. The only person, anyways, that ever um, minister to God is the one really to minister for God is the one who has the, the broken and contrite heart. He's the only one I ever want really to come to me. See, this is what God values is a, a broken and contrite heart. And let me read from Psalm 51, verse 16 and 17. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You're not pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you, again, will not despise. One that recognizes his sin, grieves over his sin. Now that word broken simply means to to break into multiple small pieces. Being contrite means to to crush. This person is broken and crushed over their sin. I hurt this person. I I sinned against God is that idea. And that broken and contrite heart, again, speaks of that inner mind, that that, that seed of emotions and will. And the Spirit speaks of the the breath, the wind, the, the Spirit inside us. That when we are sinning, we're grieving God. We're grieving the Holy Spirit of God so easy when we condemn and and judge other people. What God wants us to come is this broken and and contrite heart. That's the person that he can really use to glorify him. That's the person that, that God loves. He loves brokenness. That we humbly come before him. So when we put these words together, we understand that this contrite heart is, and, and spirit really is, is a contrite heart, is a person's inner man and will is grieving. And you can find that in the Sermon on the Mount when you begin in chapter 5, and it lays out those beatitudes, and it begins, and you can see how it follows through. But that one that has that broken and contrite heart is one who has a, a surrendered will to God. He's the one that will act as God will lead him to act. While Jesus does not forbid the the evaluation, that discernment, even the judgment of others in in, in that way, he does reject the heart that condemns others. I like what John Bradford said many years ago, but for the grace of God, there go I. I'm no better than anyone else. See, in, in, in a pastor, he needs to realize for a pastor that he's a servant of everyone. Given a responsibility, yes, but no better. The word has to speak to our hearts and then we can bring it to others. We have to be broken that we then can help multiply with others. It's only this kind of attitude could ever really help and, and take the speck out of someone else's eye. I've used that illustration that none of us should ever go uh, and and speak to somebody about a problem until they're down on their knees 
praying and then looking up at them instead of looking down upon them. And go to them with a humble and broken and contrite heart. See, as believers, we, we do have that responsibility to help people. We're, we're not to avoid that. We are to come along and fan that flame and encourage them and help them grow in that love and grace of Jesus Christ. But this only begins when you and I are accountable to one another, that we can speak frankly and honestly and, and not take things personally, that we're, we're speaking in love. And we're looking at the, the heart, that the person really loves us. And that means sometimes it means that we need to confess our sins to one another. Be frank and honest. Repenting of our selfishness. Because selfishness is sin. And we don't like to think selfishness is sin. It's always motivated either by lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, or pride of life. In some way, that's why we're selfish. We want something. We're going to steal something. We're going to take it forcefully, whatever it may be. Or we're going to put others down. Take it because we deserve it and they don't deserve it. And this is what he's speaking is this kind of attitude. Micah 6.8 really hits it on the head. He has told you, mortal one, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with your God? Wow. Can you imagine if everybody walked in that way and, and followed it, there would be peace, there would be harmony. We, we would be all on the same page. We'd be moving together. See, this is where we talk about biblical unity because we have one concern. That's the glory of God. Ministering to God and ministering to one another. When we minister to one another, we're ministering to God. And then in Matthew 4, 21, going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending the nets, and he called them. Now, this is the calling of the disciples, the four disciples. We only have four that we know actually how they were called. But what I like is they were doing, they were mending their nets. And God calls us out of the world. Just as he called them to make fishers of men, he calls us that we would come and mend one another's lives. It's all about helping one another grow and mature. Well, look with me in verse 4. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and look at the log in your own eye. The Christian that does this, he's the hypocrite. This is what he's saying. How can you do that? And then in verse 5, he says, You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck from your brother's eye. So we see here really the assessment. Yes, we can judge in discernment, not in condemnation. Yes, we come alongside somebody, but we need to deal with our own problems first. Until I deal with my own heart, my own self, I really can't minister to anyone else. Because if I try to, I will probably wound people along the way. There's a peace when we know that God is that ultimate judge. And the final judge is we don't need to judge anybody. That's God's call. Well, look with me in verse 6. It says, do not give what is holy to dogs and do not throw your pearls before pigs. They will trample under your feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Here's the wise counsel, and 
in, in really bringing the gospel because this is its first and primary thing is about bringing the gospel. And when we look at the, the rabbis referred to this in the scripture is, is the pearls, were the things that were holy of God. The mysteries of the kingdom were always considered holy. Literally, don't give what is holy to the dogs. They were the scavengers. Jews often referred to the Gentiles as dogs. The pigs were animals that were considered unclean. Don't, he's saying, don't waste your time and energy bringing what is holy to people who really don't want to hear. Don't argue, don't fight when they refuse to believe. Years ago, a brother said, you know, when, and it's become a part of my life, he says, you know, when Jehovah Witnesses come and Mormons come and they knock on my door and, and I, I listened for a second, and I said, well, can we open the Bible and, and talk together? Can we just study the Bible? And he said to him, well, if I could show you Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, would you believe? in the Bible, and they said, no, it was the end of the conversation because they have one agenda. That's really to convert you. They're not teachable. So, again, that same thing. I've, I've just got in that pattern. I don't listen to them. I don't argue. I don't get sucked in, drawn in. I don't get angry. They're blinded by the God of this world. Now, if they go, my neighbor, I, 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 I take my Bible with them, and they say something, well, let's look at the Bible and see what the Bible says. And they get angry, and they leave. But don't throw your pearls before the swine. It means they're going to devour you. In fact, I think Proverbs 9, 7, and 8 really describes it. One who corrects a scoffer gets dishonor for himself, and the one who rebukes the wicked person gets insults for himself. Do not rebuke a scoffer, or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise person, and he will love you. We need that discernment to know when to speak and when not to speak. Don't get caught up in arguments. I've seen so many people different coffee shops when we could go together, and people are arguing, fighting, and our witness is destroyed. Don't do it. That's what he's saying. See, believers should never try and force the gospel to an unwilling listener. God has given them free will. They'll choose life or they'll choose death. But what you've done, if you say something and you've just given them one scripture, the Holy Spirit can use that. The choice is theirs. We're not a savior. We're not the Messiah. We just bring the truth and let God work it out. Now there's a verse, Matthew 13, 58, and it says this, and he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. See, the people refused to believe what God wanted to do in their life. God in flesh was dwelling among them. God was speaking to them. Everyone was amazed at his teaching, but, but there were those that chose not to believe, and it was for that very reason that he did not do miracles for those of unbelief. We have to discern, we have to exercise, and this kind of continues in this same way. In Luke 18, 27, but he said, the things that are impossible with people are possible with God. There, there is a thing when you just leave them with the scripture, kindly walk away. God can speak to their hearts. God loves them more than you and I could ever love them. 
as a believer, what, what is God wanting for you to do? That's really the question we have to come to. But maybe you're unwilling. He's wanting to do this in your life, and you say no. And I think every one of us have been to that place at some time. And we have to really decide we're going to trust God. God, if you called me, God, you'll enable me. And the disciples, they had to learn that same principle, and we have to learn that same principle today. The question really boils down to this. What is God calling you to do? And then I want to go to Luke 18.8, and it it says this. I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? There are some that, that, that know everything, but they're not acting. They're not living in faith, and God's called us to live a life of faith and just trust him. Well, he continues this thought of wisdom and and how we're to speak boldly in prayer. That is boldly to God. Look with me in verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find and knock, and it will be opened to you. Now, in verse 7, that very idea, it will be opened to you, it's this kind of prayer that provides an opportunity, really, to seek God's glory. He's saying again that, that we are to to seek and knock, and the door will be open. Ask, seek, knock. You receive not because you ask not. He's, he's talking about being persistent. Come to that throne of grace. And if you ask anything according to his will, he will do it. In fact, in 1 John five fourteen, it says this is the confidence we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. That marvels me that God hears every one of our prayers and he answers it. He's he's listening to you. He's listening to me. Whether it's quiet or loud, he hears it. He knows it. It's pleasing to him. And he'll answer it in the way that will honor the will of a person at the same time honors him. He will not force someone to believe. Now, there's benefits in prayer, as I mentioned here in verse 8. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks is open. We should be taking advantage of prayer, spending time in prayer. Prayer is about a relationship. Do I have a relationship with God? And the, and the time that I spend in prayer tells me what kind of relationship I have. Is it warm or is it cold? Is my God a big God or a little God? Is he wonderful, amazing, and still doing miracles today? Even though I may not see them? But do I know him? See, God's people are simply to continue to pursue him. And God loves to respond. He's waiting to respond. He's waiting for you and me to to ask him. And he responds in faithfulness and generosity, although according to his will. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in prayer and pleading, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. If there's something I need today, that's my heart to be guarded my mind to be guarded in Christ Jesus. 
all this going on, being bombarded with the news and everything, the fears, the worries, the suicides, the doubts. It's interesting because today there are many pastors wanting to leave the ministry, wanting to retire, wanting to jump out now. Things aren't going the way I want them to go. And this is the time we should be looking, God, what do you want to do next? He's still on the throne. Nothing surprises him. He, he said he would build the church. I don't need to worry about that. I just need to be faithful as you need to be faithful. Verse 9 continues, and, and or what person is there among you when a son asks for a loaf of bread will give him a stone? But if he asks for a fish, will he not give, give him a snake, will he? Well, there's, a, again, an obligation, a prayer. He's, he's taking this, what is so simple, from the, the least to the greater. If He's going to talk about, again, if, if parents know how to give what's good, how much more Heavenly Father knows what's good? Look with me in verse 11. So if, if you, despite being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in Heaven give good things to those who ask? Now, oftentimes this is used for just the giving of the Holy Spirit. And the tearing of the Holy Spirit, I, I don't believe that's the main context. The main context is just resting and trusting in God, asking Him, what is your need today? I think every one of us need the wisdom of God, wisdom for those right steps, those right decisions, the timing and where we're to go. He's just showing the goodness of God here. Not any one particular thing. But if it's something that's good and necessary for your life, your Father knows before you even ask what it is. So it's kind of a rhetorical question that we're finding here in the text. Well, again, the the best way to open the doors of heaven, he's showing us, is really the prescription is to, through prayer, to ask and seek and knock. Well, again, look with me in verse 12 where we started. I wanted to end here, as I said. In everything, therefore, treat people in the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. It's really speaking about love, how we deal with people. See, I'm reminded, it it may be a strong illustration for you, but it is biblical. When the children of Israel were in the wilderness for 40 years, when they crossed back in to the promised land, they came to Gilgal. The men had not been circumcised. And what the men needed to do is they needed to be circumcised. So one man would go to another man and he would circumcise him. And the one that you circumcised, he would turn around and circumcise you. If that man is going to do that to me, I'm going to be very tender and very careful how I handle him. Because he's going to circumcise me. And what we need tonight is our hearts circumcised. We need our flesh cut away that we'd be sensitive to the Spirit. Not just react in emotions and flesh, 
not judge people's motives, why they're doing, why they're saying. We don't know what they're going through. We don't know what they've gone through. But we know that God has put them in our lives. And we need to love them as God would love them. And that's really the message. Treat people the way that you want to be treated. So, Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for this text, a reminder how careful we need to be with one another, the importance of coming to one another, helping one another, caring for one another, helping one another grow, mature in you. That's our desire. We want to be used, not necessarily in the way we want to be, the way that you want to use us. We want to accomplish your will in our lives and really not ours. We want to know what it means to put the hand to the plow and not turn back, to deny ourselves and pick up our cross and follow you, daily being devoted to you. That's really our desire tonight, Lord, and each day, that you would be honored and glorified in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.